This is Real Estate Rookie episode 278. You you should also look at the numbers and, and use that to help you kind of make a determination because like say that say that we look over the next year, over the next 12 months, and say that you're trying to get a thousand bucks for your place right now, but because you tried to get a thousand dollars, your place sits vacant for the next two months, right? Um, over the course of that year, you have two months that are empty, so you're gonna make $1,000 over 10 months, which is $10,000. Say that you drop the price from 1,000 to 950 and you rent it out this month. Now you have a full 12 months. You're actually going to make more. You'll make $11,400 at 950 if it's rented out for the entire year. My name is Ashley Kerr and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And I want to start today's episode by shouting out someone by the username of rsgreen2. They love this a five-star review on Apple Podcasts that says... I tell everyone and anyone I can to listen to this podcast, especially when people ask me about where they can start. Tony and Ashley have great energy and they keep things very tangible for listeners. Keep up the great work, Ashley, and keep laughing. Don't let anyone tell you different. Life is too short. And so uh, RS Green, we appreciate you. And Ash, I got to say, I love your laugh as well. Uh, don't listen to the haters. Uh, keep keep doing your thing. Keep living your life. Well, thank you so much because it is physically impossible. <laughs> Stop laughing, so here to stay. So, Tony, what's new with you? Um, well, we got this campground that we're working on in uh, in West Virginia, so I'm super excited about that. And honestly, by the time this episode's airs, I think we should hopefully have closed on it by now. But um, it was a deal that came to me actually on Instagram. One of my Instagram followers reached out to me, and uh, most deals that get sent to me on Instagram are not all that good. But this one actually ended up checking out, so. We're, we're super excited for it. It's going to be right now. It's, it's, it's got a, a single family house plus a little, there's a, a church <laughs> on the grounds and there's a few RV pads. Um, but we're going to build out some really cool dome, uh, like campsites there. So we're, we're excited. It'll be our first like true commercial project and, um, hopefully the first of many. So just trying to do our due diligence right now and, uh, get the money lined up and, and take this thing down. So we, we had a failed attempt last year at our first commercial deal. So I'm hoping this one, hoping we actually make this one happen. Yeah. I'm so excited for you. I got your um, newsletter that talked about the property the other day and Daryl and I were reading through it. It looks so exciting and such a great opportunity. Yeah. Okay. Well, this week we have, I think like five questions we actually go through today, five or six. And um, we talk about financing, getting bank financing, the differences between, you know, doing um, an adjustable rate mortgage, a conventional mortgage, a uh, uh, second home mortgage, lots of different things we talk about and what are the pros and cons and what may be the best route for you, depending on your situation. And then we go into estimating a rehab and some of the ways you can do that as a rookie investor. Yeah, we also talk about analyzing deals and we talk about FISBOs and how to how to kind of negotiate with sellers uh, without your, your agent being present. And uh, we also talk about uh, renting your property out and, and how to not get screwed when you're searching for tenants and make sure you're getting the place filled. So lots of good conversation for today. We will also tell you what a FISBO is for those of you that don't know. So listen for that. <laughs> the don't know. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. 
They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O, retirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You ever feel like your vacation rentals since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, so our first question today is from Ernesto, and this is in the Real Estate Ricky Facebook group. Guys, don't forget, if you want to ask questions that we may uh, answer on the show, you can go ahead and join the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. Ask your question in there. Most likely, you are going to get a whole bunch of people, rookie investors and experienced investors to answer your question before we get to it. But Ernesto's question today is, is it possible to get a new mortgage in an LLC with 20 to 25% down? Also, what are the documents and requirements needed? And the answer to that is yes, you can. That is actually typically what a commercial lender is looking for is that 20 to 25% down. Sometimes they may require 30% down or more. Um, So since this is going to be in an LLC, you are going to have to go to the commercial side of lending. I have found one small local bank that did allow um, you to get a loan on the residential side in an LLC. But most of the time, you're going to have to go to a commercial lender. And you can do the 20 to 25% down. Uh, There are lots of different options for the commercial lending. For example, you know, how long you're going to amortize the loan. That will also affect your interest rate if um, you're going to do an ARM, an adjustable rate mortgage, uh, lots of different uh, options on the the commercial lending side. I have not seen on the commercial lending side where they will let you put less than 20% down. Um, I have seen on the residential side where a small bank that's going to hold the loan in-house will allow that just because you're buying below market value. But banks are really flexible, especially the small local banks where maybe that, that does happen where you can put less than 20% down. Tony, have you ever seen that uh, where a commercial lender will put less than 20% down? Mm, no, 
Yeah, you know, we most of our debt honestly isn't uh, carried by our LLC, and the debt we do have in our LLC is from private money lenders. So they're, you know, we're usually going zero percent, zero percent down on those ones. But I, I think my question to Ernesto would be, what is what is your motivation, Ernesto, for um, getting the LLC and going after commercial debt? I think there's a, a common misconception that um, you need an LLC to buy investment property or to get all the tax benefits that come along with being a real estate investor, and that's not. It's not true. You can still claim all the deductions, even if the property is in your personal name and even if the debt is in your personal name. Um, the LLC really comes if you're worried about like uh, liability, right? Asset protection. And even still, there are ways to protect yourself from a liability perspective without even creating the LLC. So I think that would be my first question, Ernesto, because a lot of times you can get better debt if you're able to get that debt in your own name. Now, obviously, um, if you do go that route, a lot of times banks are going to want to make sure you have the DTI to cover that. Um, so maybe if you're going after commercial property where they're they're kind of looking at your, um, your um, gosh, why can't I think of the name of the statement, your personal financial statement, um, and they're looking at like the NOI of the property, that could be one reason. But Ernesto, if you have the, the debt's income ratio, you have the credit score to go out and get that debt by yourself. I, I might even say like, it might be more beneficial to get something in your in your personal name. And then the second part of that question was the documents required. And Tony touched on one of them, providing your personal financial statement, which lists your assets minus your liabilities. So if you own a primary residence, that would be your asset. If you have cash savings, that'd be an asset. Your liabilities would be the mortgage that's on your primary residence, or if you have a car loan, things like that. The next thing um, that you may need to supply, and these are especially if you're going to be a personal guarantor on the loan. So even though your LLC is getting the loan, the bank may require you or ask of you to be a personal guarantor where you are signing saying that if you know the LLC defaults on the loan, you are now personally liable to pay that loan. You do get a better interest rate if you do sign for that, and you may get better terms if you are a personal guarantor. So they may want two years of your personal tax return, if applicable, two years of your LLC tax return, if it's been open for two years, a profit and loss of the property you're purchasing, also the rent roll of the property that you are purchasing. Um, and then they'll probably run your credit too as a personal guarantor. They also will most likely require any partner that has more than, or has 20% or more ownership in the property too, to supply all of these things as well, such as their tax return and to also be a personal guarantor. I've never seen it where if somebody owns less than 20%, they require them to sign on the loan or to provide their information, but that could also possibly happen. Okay, so let's move on to our next question. This question is from Denise Bittinger, and this is also from the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. What's the best way to structure a first-time partnership? Should we look for someone to split the cost of a mortgage and each get a loan for the applicable half? Is that even an option? So here's some background on it. It's a buy and hold. The property is listed at $265,000. The down payment would be 20%, which is around $50,000, which hopefully would be funded by a partner. What other factors should I be considering? Thank you. So this is something Tony and I talk about a lot. There is no right way to structure your, your first partnership that is completely negotiable. You just want to make sure that it's legal and that it's all in writing. So 
I think Tony will be able to talk to this better on this one because, Tony, you do partner with people who bring the capital to deals and how you do your joint venture agreements. Uh, for myself per personally, my first partnership, we did 50-50 uh, ownership. My partner brought the capital, but he also was the lien holder on the property. He held the mortgage. So the money we used to purchase the property, we were paying him back that money over a 15-year amortization at 5.5% interest. So he was making his, um, getting a monthly payment every, every month of principal and interest. He was also 50% owner of the property. So any uh, equity by mortgage pay down, he was getting that advantage. He was also any appreciation into the property that was building equity. So when we eventually sold, he got 50% of the profit. He also was getting 50% of the cash flow through the lifetime of that property that we had it. So Tony, do you want to go ahead and touch on uh, the joint venture side of doing a partnership for your first deal? Yeah. So there, there's a couple things you should look at, Denise. Um, so you're, the, the first thing you said is, should we look for someone to split the cost of a mortgage and then each get a loan for the applicable half? Um, I, I've actually never seen that happen before where you have like two different partners and each of them gets their own mortgage for like their part of the property. Usually if you're going to do it that route, like both of you would just be applying for the same mortgage. Um but but here's the thing. Um, I, I think if you're if you're in a partnership, typically you want the smallest amount of people on the mortgage as possible because if one person can qualify for that loan by themselves, then it allows the next person in that partnership to get the subsequent loan. But if both of you are on that loan, now your D both of your DTIs are impacted. So usually you want the smallest number of people possible on the mortgages as, as you can. But anyway, to to kind of answer your question about how to how to structure it, there's a few things to look at, Denise. You can look at mortgage. So who's going to carry the mortgage, uh, the down payment, so the capital, who's going to bring that capital. And then on, on the actual ownership of the property, you look at equity. How are we going to split ownership of this property? And then you look at profits. How will we split the actual profits of this property? And you can you know, tie in other things like, hey, is someone going to get a, a management fee for doing the day-to-day -day management of the property? Or um, if someone does maintenance uh, on the property, do you get like an hourly fee for the maintenance piece? But um, I think those are the different levers you want to you want to look at. And it sounds like, Denise, you're looking for someone to bring the down payment. But it also seems like, if I'm reading this the right way, that you feel you have the ability to get approved for the loan. So one easy way to do it would be to say, okay, look, um, I'm going to carry the the, the mortgage. Um, you're going to bring the down payment capital. And you have to make sure that you know that money gets seasoned or that your, your lender is okay with that person gifting that money to you. Um, but say you carry the, the mortgage. That person brings the down payment, and then you guys can say, hey, we're going to split the profits down the middle 50-50. We're going to split equity down the middle 50-50. Um, or your partner could say, hey, since I brought the 50K, I want to make sure that whenever we sell the property, I get my 50K back first, and then we split whatever's left over. So there are a million different ways to kind of skin the cat here, Denise, but um, I think those are the things you want to look at is your, your mortgage, your down payment, your equity, and your profits. <music>
It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm curious. Have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Okay, our next question is from Trevor Manning. He says, hi, rookies. I want to start analyzing deals. I was wondering if there is a rough rule of thumb for estimating rehab costs, like an estimate per square foot, uh, moderate, heavy rehab. It doesn't have to be super accurate. I just want to get my hands dirty with practicing my analyzing. Have a great weekend. Okay, so this is such a, a hard thing as a rookie starting out is estimating the rehab. And even still, I struggle with it. It's to, there's so many variables that come into play to get the perfect budget, the person perfect estimate. When I first started out doing like full heavy rehabs, I took on a partner who knew how to do construction and that's how I learned to do my estimates. Um, the first thing I would do is to look into the book Estimating Rehab Cost by Jay Scott. It's available on the Bigger Pockets bookstore and it's not going to be able to tell you, okay, in your market, in your area, you know, a painter is going to charge you $2.50 per square foot but it's going to lay out everything you should be getting quotes for, everything you should be estimating that you might be missing. Another way to kind of look at it is, and this is very time consuming, but once you do it one time, you can constantly reuse it for other properties, is build out your own kind of template. So you can at least get a very good idea of what the material cost will be. So you're looking at a property, you're looking at the listing online, or maybe you go to do an actual showing. Take tons of photos and videos of the property. Then sit down and go room by room. Okay, so I always use the bathroom as an example. You're looking at the bathroom. You want to rip the bathroom out and redo it. Okay, for the shower, maybe you know you want to put in um, 
tile. You want to tile the whole shower. Okay, well, they make a Schluter tile system, okay? You can go and look at the price at Lowe's, Home Depot, or whatever hardware store you use. Pull up the cost of that. You are going to link that to your spreadsheet. Then you are going to find a YouTube video that talks about what it takes to build out a tile shower. And you are going to say, okay, I need the grout. I need the towel, the tile. I need the thin set. I'll need, the, you know, these other things. I'll need the the faucet. I'll need the handle. I'll need um, whatever else is in that video. Make a list and build out that kind of worksheet, that template, and then go online to the hardware store and pull those things. Okay, so a toilet. You're going to need a wax seal to go with the toilet. You can Google all this on YouTube. Put those things in there. Even if you don't use that exact same toilet that you linked, it's still going to give you a pretty good estimate of what your budget is going to need to be. If you don't know what toilet to pick, go ahead and pick one on the higher end. And if you end up getting one that's cheaper and it's going to work just as well, then great. You just saved yourself $25, $30 right there. So always overestimate. Go for the higher price item. You don't want to blow your budget way out of the water by picking, you know, $10 per square foot tile if you're just doing a rental property where you could get away with two or $3 per square foot tile. But um, that is, it's time consuming, but I think that is a great way to kind of get an understanding of what materials cost. And then for as far as labor, call around and ask contractors, would you charge to install a toilet? Ask other investors. Uh, James Zanard, we had him on. I'm sure Tony already has his episode numbers teed up as to what episode that was, but he did this heavy deep dive and he has a template where he knows that his painter charges X amount per square foot. So when he's estimating a rehab, he already knows, okay, this is a 2,100 square foot property. I'm going to times that by the $2.50, my painter, and that's how much I should be charged for, you know, that's my estimate for the painting on the property and the same for installing tile and all these different things or even drywall. So calling and kind of getting an idea, of course, no contracts going, going to be able to tell you over the phone, this is how much it would cost just for this, but just an idea or range can really help you kind of figure out. And then for kitchens too, call kitchen um, cabinet places that do like the design and ask like if they can give you, you know, like a low end model or low end cabinetry, like what the price point runs on that, you know, if it's 500 square foot kitchen, things like that. This is going to be time consuming, but going around and visiting these different places, making the phone calls, looking things up online, it's going to be worth it if you really do want to, you know, have a more accurate estimate. And if that's the one thing that's holding you back from getting started, then it's definitely worth the time doing this kind of research. Yeah, it's a, a great breakdown, Ash. And of course, I've got James's episode teed up. So that was episode 165 for part one. And I think part two is 167, if I'm not mistaken, or 166, one of those ones. But um, so Trevor, like in addition to everything that Ashley said, I'll just kind of share what, what my journey was when I was first starting out and and what I did to, to try and um, estimate my rehab costs. And I once I found my, my subject property, the property that I was looking at purchasing, I looked for other comps in that area that had recently sold. And I identified the comps that I liked, right? The ones that I was trying to emulate. And I did 
I, I did two things really. Uh, first, I went out and I found another contractor and said, "Hey, here's what um, here's what I'm looking to to turn this house into. Here's what I'm looking to transform it into." Can you give me uh, like an example of projects you've recently done that looked like this? And this contractor said, yeah, here's one or two properties that I did that, that are similar to what you're trying to do. And I said, okay, what was the cost for that property? And he told me, hey, it was, you know, whatever, $70,000 to do that rehab. Um, and then that kind of gave me a ballpark. Okay, if I want to do a level of rehab, it's going to cost me around sixty dollars to $70,000 to do that. And the other thing I did was I gave him photos of what the property looks like today, the current state of that property, and I showed him those those comps that I was looking at and said, hey, to get a property like this to look like this, what do you think it would cost me? And he said, okay, it's going to cost you around this much. So now I've got this this these concrete numbers of what he charged his previous clients to do these rehabs, and I've now got this ballpark of what he's going to charge me to take this property that I'm looking at and turn it into something new. And with those, it, it gave me a, a pretty decent ballpark on what I would be spending to to kind of get the level of rehab that I was looking for. So I think Trevor talking to other investors in your market and asking them what they're spending on a price per square foot is super important. And then also just going to the folks that are going to be doing the work and getting their opinion. Um, it is incredibly difficult uh, tre uh, Trevor for me or Ashley to say like, Hey, use this price per square foot in your market. Um, because it's like what Ashley spends in Buffalo is gonna be very different than what I spend in, in Southern California. And it's going to be very different than what you spend in whatever city or state you're in. So you, you do have to kind of get localized information to, to make your best guess. Yeah. The last thing I would add on to that too, is even when you're just in Lowe's, you keep an eye out. They usually have signs saying like, we will install your flooring. We'll install your bathtub find out what their pricing is on that. And a lot of times they actually do provide free quotes too, where they will send someone out. But sometimes they will say like, we have a special going on. Our rate is usually, you know, $5 per square foot to install flooring, the luxury vinyl plank. But, you know, for this week only, we're doing it for X amount, but you can at least see how their pricing kind of varies. And you can use that too as kind of like a starting point is what the prices are. Ash, I'm just curious, like, have you ever not used LVP in your properties? Like, have you ever done like the, I don't know, like, uh, like, like tile, actual tile in your properties or like, I don't know, like the, what's the, the old, like linoleum type, um, uh, you know, like, or do you always go LVP? Uh, recently always LVP. I've done tile showers, um, in tile in bathrooms. Um, I don't think ever tile in a kitchen before for a rental property, but I've definitely done the tile shower, the tile in the bathroom floor, and then um, luxury vinyl plank throughout. Um, I actually am one unit right now that I just did a big turnover. And when we ripped up the carpets from when I bought it, we were going to put the LVP down, but it actually had hardwood floors and it was cheaper to refinish the hardwoods than it was to I rip the, the carpet out or to put LVP into that unit. But uh, and then the A-frame, the short term rental we did, we did do like tile in that bathroom and the, the shower, too. But that was the rest was all LVP in there. Yeah. And then in the apartment complexes that I asset manage for, they we do um, linoleum in the kitchen, in the bathroom but we're slowly changing that into LVP as people move out and just keeping it consistent the the whole way through. Yeah, same for us. We do we tile all of our bathrooms like the the bathroom floors, the shower floor, the shower walls, we always tile those. 
are we have like patios in most of our backyards. We'll tile the the outside with like some nice tile as well, and then um, everything else is like a, a really nice LVP. Also, I'm just curious, you know, because I've one of my friends. This is in, in his primary residence, and instead of doing LVP, he just tiled the entire inside of his house, and it almost looked like LVP, but it was it was tile. And he told me that it, like they were thinking about doing LVP, but it ended up being cheaper to do that tile. So I was just curious if you if you ever tried anything like that before. Yeah, actually, in this property that I'm in right now, I wish there's the whole stack. You can kind of see it, the whole palette of flooring right there, and it's LVP. But I wish that I would have done tile in this one throughout. Um, my aunt and uncle did that. They were actually ripped up all of their hardwoods in their house and put tile that looks like wood on it just because of the durability. Like their dogs were scratching up the hardwoods. And like my, my house that I built, we did tile in the kitchen and the bathrooms and the laundry room, but the rest in the mudroom, but then the rest is all the hardwoods. I hate it so much. Like the first couple of years living in that house, I would cringe every time a toy dropped onto the floor or whatever. Now there's dings and scratches and everything throughout it, but it's also LVP, I think is a lot easier to keep clean too, but also a lot more durable than the hardwoods too. So I just don't care for hardwoods anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So our next question is from Jordan Alexander. And is, would you go with a conventional second home mortgage at 10% down with long-term fixed or start an in-house portfolio relationship with a lender at 15% down, 5% interest, and a 20-year amortization? Okay, so my opinion on that is, what is your why, first of all? Are you going for cash flow? Are you going for appreciation? Are you going to build this huge portfolio where you think that doing this one loan differently with the lender is going to give you years of great business with them. I think run the numbers and what's going to give you the better cash flow. If you can get both of those, look at five years down the road where you're getting the better return on those things. Doing the in-house portfolio loan, if you work with that lender to do the portfolio loan or you work with them to do the second home mortgage, you're still going to be establishing a relationship by working with that loan officer, no matter what type of loan product you are doing. So in my opinion, I would recommend doing the 10% down and getting that 30-year fixed mortgage on that with a, a lower interest rate. Um, the The 5% interest for the the second one that you mentioned with the 20-year amortization and putting a little bit more down, maybe that is a, a lower interest rate right now. I'm not sure when this post was done or what it would be for the second home mortgage, but 5% interest doesn't sound that bad right now. Um, I'm doing, uh, helping a, my business partner, he's doing a loan right now on a primary residence. And uh, when I was filling out some of his paperwork, it was 5.125% that he was getting but it's a seven-one arm. So it's only fixed for seven years. And then he'll go and refinance it depending when, right, what rates are or probably just pay it off. But um, Tony, what do you think about that? And also, Tony, I have another question for you too. Are you, and I heard this, this was a rumor that was swirling around and I, I keep forgetting to ask you if it's true. Are banks um, getting more strict on lending the second home 
mortgage that the 10% down is going away. Yeah, it's a it's a great call out, Ashton. I, what I was going to mention is, as I talked about Jordan's question here, is that uh, banks aren't necessarily getting away from the second home mortgage, but they are becoming more expensive. So they're still 10% down, but a lot of banks are now adding additional points uh, on top of the, the 10% down payment that um, almost makes it less desirable for for people. Um, so we we haven't closed in a 10% down second home loan in a while. And we've been going with 15% down investor loans because when we add up the total cost of the debt, it's actually been cheaper to go with a 15% down loan with no points um, versus a 10% down with all the added points and fees. Um, so I, I think I would answer Jordan's question in a very similar way, Ashley, where it's like, Jordan, you got to look at the, the total cost of the debt and understand between the the second home mortgage and that um, that portfolio loan, which one's going to allow you to achieve better returns and, and better cash flow long term. Like Ash said, I mean five percent. If that's like today's rates, that's pretty that's pretty good, <laughs> you know. Um, so I, I might be interested in, in doing that. You didn't mention what the term was for that, so I don't know if that's like a three year term, a five year term. Um, but five percent does seem pretty solid. But yeah, I would I would definitely just run the numbers and. Um, and try and figure out which one makes the most sense. So uh, just before we close this one out, I just want to talk about like what, what points are and how it adds to your closing costs. So one point is essentially 1% of your, your mortgage amount. Um, so if I had a, um, you know, a hundred dollars of mortgage, one point would be uh, 1%, which is $1. Um, so as you add these additional points, it really can start to add up, especially if you're buying a house for 300000 400000 500000 $800,000, like one point can make a, a pretty big difference in what your down payment cost is. Um, so you 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 want to make sure that you understand not just the down payment percentage, but also the additional points and fees that are um, being added onto that. Because when you close in that property, it's a down payment plus all the closing costs, which includes those fees and points. I've seen banks doing a lot of um, options for people is that they'll offer, if you pay points, you get an interest rate buy down. So say, for example, your interest rate is 6%. If you pay one point, they'll knock it down to 5.8% or something like that. So what you have to do in those scenarios is you have to look at, okay, how much more money am I going to have to put down? So one point, say it's a $300,000 property, that's $3,000 added to your closing costs. But let's look at over, you know, how much interest are you saving by having that interest rate knocked down a little bit? And is it worth it? Also look at your monthly payment too, like how much extra cash flow will you actually have and how long until you can, you know, get that $3,000 back that you put up up front? Or is it worth it taking the higher interest rate and not having to put more money into the deal upfront too. So just a couple things to think about um, as you know, lenders are trying to get creative to attract people when those interest rates are higher by offering those point paydowns. So just make sure you're understanding if it really is a, a better option for you or not. And I've seen it up to like three points where you can pay 3% um, to get your interest rate knocked down. A little bit. Yeah, just really quick, Ash, before we go to the next one, I know we've talked about NACA before. I mean, recently I had a guest on that, that used NACA as well. And uh, NACA is like a, a loan program that, that helps people buy um, buy properties. And they're really good at allowing you to buy down your interest rate as well. And when interest rates were super low, um, I know some people that were getting NACA loans below 1%. 
which is crazy to think about. Like that's literally almost free money. Um, so yeah, if you are able to buy down your your rates, it, it can be beneficial in the right in the right environment. Okay, our next question is from Preston Wallace. Listed my first rental about two weeks ago. I have had a few people reach out about applying, but never complete the process. I am using a property manager as I've moved a little over an hour away. At what point do you all consider reducing the ask on the monthly rent? I did a fair amount of research in the area and even priced rent about $50 lower than a few comparables in the neighborhood that rents it out in January. I can afford to pay the mortgage without the rent, but at the same time, I don't want to have it vacant for much longer. So the first thing I would look at is to the property management company or your property manager. What are the things that they are doing to market your property? If you search your property or you search, uh, let's say the, the properties in Buffalo, apartments for rent, Buffalo, New York, two bedroom apartments in Buffalo, New York, or whatever the city is that your property is in, where do you see the listing? Is it in multiple places? Is it being blasted out to 10 different places? Is there a sign in the front of the yard? So that's the first piece I would look at is the actual marketing of the unit. Um, and then I would take your property manager's advice. They're the expert, they're supposed to be the expert in that market and get their opinion as to, okay, this is listed what I thought was below, you know, $50 before comparables in the area. In your experience, what do you think is the difference between my unit and these other units? Um, so maybe these other units have a washer and dryer and yours doesn't. And that's actually becoming more of a big deal than it isn't. Um, and then see if there's an opportunity for whatever you are missing to add that into it. So maybe these other properties allow pets and you don't allow pets. Okay, maybe do reconsider and allow a pet and charge a pet fee upon moving, things like that. So that's what I would kind of do some research before you actually go in and decrease the rent um, any further than what you have. Yeah, I, I think the only other thing I'd add to that, um, Preston, is that you you should also look at the numbers and and use that to help you kind of make a determination. Because, like, say that say that we look over the next year, over the next twelve months, and say that you're trying to get a thousand bucks for your place right now, but because you tried to get a thousand dollars, your place sits vacant for the next two months, right? Um, over the course of that year, you have two months that are empty, so you're going to make. $1,000 over 10 months, which is $10,000. Say that you drop the price from 1000 to 950 and you rent it out this month. Now you have a full 12 months. You're actually going to make more. You'll make $11,400 at 950 if it's rented out for the entire year. And so I didn't even include the fact that you have to pay the mortgage yourself for those two months of the property sitting vacant. So you, sometimes you can make more money by reducing your rent. So I think just you know take that into consideration as well, where sometimes real estate investors get so fixated on the monthly amount, they they don't realize the impact that it's having on vacancy, which is the biggest expense for us as, uh, us as real estate investors. Yeah. And the last thing to add on to that, that's great advice, Tony. The one thing to be careful with that is don't you want to fill that unit, don't just take on the first person that applies for you, your, your unit and risk getting a bad tenant in. The one time it is good to wait and have that little bit longer vacancy is waiting for a good tenant, not just settling because you want to get it rented super quick. And then the people end up trashing the house and you saw all the red flags, but you just wanted to get it rented. So that would be my one cautionary tale. Okay. Our last question today on Rookie Reply is from Samuel Hall. 
uh, FSBO, which is for sale by owner, has agreed to, to move forward with my offer. However, they want me to provide comps, comparables to them. How would you handle this? Well, I think this is a great situation for you to control, Samuel, uh, that you, they want you to provide the comps instead of them going out and finding their own comps. So I think you can definitely use this to your advantage. Um, so go on to the MLS, Zillow, you know, realtor.com or whatever. And I would look at comparable properties that have sold in that area. Um, not th what things are listed at because just because they're listed at something does not mean they're actually going to sell for that. I would also go to propstream.com. They have a free seven-day trial. So just use it for the seven days and you can cancel it or you can keep it if you love it. But they, you'll also be able to pull comparables from there too by putting in the address and there's like a little button you push to look at comps in the area. So you're going to compare bedroom count, bathroom count, but also uh, square footage and then finishes of the property. If you find a property that's $400,000, but it fits every checkbox, but it has all these high-end finishes where yours is still designed in, you know, in the 60s, that's not going to be a good comparable or you're going to have to adjust your comparable by showing, you know, this house has, you know, an extra $100,000 in upgrades in it that this person's house doesn't have. The place that I would be cautious about that is this person probably has this sentimental value to their property. So try not to bash their property by saying, oh, these com comparables are way better than yours. That's why I'm looking at something different. So even look at, you know, the see if you can find a property that is worse than theirs or level as theirs and it's sold for actually what you are going to pay for it. But I think you do have an advantage um, by picking and choosing what comps you use to make your offer look more favorable. Yeah, I think the only thing I'd add to that is also include Samuel, um, and I'm making an assumption here, but there's some work to be done, but I would also include what you predict your rehab budget to be. So you can go to the seller and say, look, I'm, I'm buying this property from you for X, but I also need to invest, invest another 10, 20, 50, $100,000 to make this property even livable for the next person. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking on all of the work that you don't wanna do. And the last thing you can tell the seller is like, look, look, Mr. or Mrs. Seller, I'm gonna buy the property completely as is you literally don't have to lift a finger. If you want to just leave all the trash here, leave the trash here. If you want to do like, don't touch anything, I'll take care of everything, but just know I'll also have to put a little bit of work into it myself. Um, we, we've used that tactic a couple of times with, um, with some off-market deals we've purchased and it's been helpful to say like, look, we, we get that you have the sentimental value, but for us, it, it also is a business for us as well. And here's like what we're going to have to spend to, to make this worthwhile. So I, I found that to be helpful when you're negotiating with folks also. Yeah, that's really good advice. So the more information you can provide as to, you know, that's going to be to your benefit, the better. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for this week's Rookie Reply. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, make sure you are subscribed to the channel and you like this video for us and leave a comment below as to what question and answer you found the most valuable this week. And don't forget to leave us a review if you are listening on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you guys so much. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals and he is Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we'll be back on Wednesday with a guest.
Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.